Grace, mercy, and peace are yours. From God our Father and from our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, amen. Life has its ups and downs, doesn't it? Last week we had a chance to see the highest of highs in Elijah's life when he took on 450 prophets of Baal, another 400 of Asherah, and prayed that God would rain down fire on his sacrifice, and God did, and burned it up completely. And Elijah thought, now, now everyone is going to turn back to a worship of the true God. Only that's not what happened. And what we're going to see today is maybe the lowest of lows that Elijah experienced in his life when he was turned away from his homeland because there was an edict for his life. And yet God comes to Elijah, encouraging him that he hasn't forgotten, not only about him, but about all of his promises made to the people of Israel. As we take a look at this First Kings text today, we're going to see that God's word still works and that we can trust it today. I'm guessing that most of you know and maybe have had some fun with the English language, particularly the oxymoron. You know what that is, right? Two things that don't seem to go together, but we still put them together. I think jumbo shrimp is one of those classic oxymorons. But icy hot or a definite maybe, those would also be examples of oxymorons. But I thought of a new one because of my experience of this past week. Maybe some of you can relate. I don't think there's such a thing as a happy golfer. You know what I'm talking about? You go out golfing and you think, you know, I'm kind of working on some things. I got to get my swing a little better. And there's just enough of those shots that you think someday I might actually be good at this game. But then there's all kinds of other bad shots that you realize, I'm never going to be good at this game. I believe Mark Twain is often credited with this phrase that golf is a good walk spoiled. Maybe he's right. And I have to admit, this past week when I was golfing and things weren't going very well, I thought to myself, should I keep doing this? Is the frustration that I feel worth coming out here every time I golf, thinking that I'm somehow going to be better at this sport? Thankfully, I'm not at the point yet where I need to quit. But it made me think about how golf is a little bit of a metaphor for life. Because can it feel that way? When the frustrations of life come, like, why aren't things going better for me? I, I'm trying to do the right things and it just doesn't seem to work out. And that's exactly where we find Elijah today. Wondering why he failed. Wondering why God didn't do the things that Elijah expected him to do when the prophets of Baal were defeated on Mount Carmel. So today, as we take a look at 1 Kings chapter 19, let, let's do so on the basis of, of this theme, God's word still works. And as we consider that today and the encouragement that God gives not only to Elijah but to us, let's find those promises of God's word again that bring us encouragement. But then let's also note that it's God's word that changes people's hearts. 1 Kings chapter 19 is found on page 559 in your pew Bibles if you'd like to follow along. We're going to read the first 18 verses of that chapter today and we'll begin with the first 
well, four and a half verses. We're going to go through 5a of 1 Kings chapter 19, verses 1 to 5a. Here's what's reported. Now Ahab told Jezebel everything Elijah had done and how he had killed all the prophets with the sword. So Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah to say, May the gods deal with me, be it ever so severely, if by this time tomorrow I do not make your life like that of one of them. Elijah was afraid and ran for his life. When he came to Beersheba in Judah, he left his servant there while he himself went a day's journey into the desert. He came to a broom tree, sat down under it and prayed that he might die. I have had enough, Lord, he said, Take my life. I am no better than my ancestors. Then he lay down under the tree and fell asleep. Think about Elijah and the disappointment that he must have felt. That highest of highs that he experienced when God rained down the fire from heaven that burned up not only the sacrifice, but all the wood, the stones. Remember all the water that had been poured over the sacrifice? That too was all gone. And there had been an agreement. There had been an agreement before the contest had started. Whichever God rains down fire, that's the true God. Of course Elijah was thinking, this is it. Everybody's going to see that God can do all of these great things. But how quickly, how quickly Elijah's disappointment turned into fear. Because he found out that Jezebel not only hadn't turned her heart to the true God, she now wanted Elijah dead. She issued an edict that if by sundown Elijah wasn't dead, then something was going to be wrong. Think about this. The same prophet, the same man, Elijah, who had just stood toe-to-toe with 850 other prophets, trusting in his God to rain down fire, he became afraid. And that fear led him to run away, to run away from Israel, to get away from it all. Can't we relate? Isn't that how life works? There are those days when God's blessings are evident in our lives, when when we're close to God because of something that's gone on, because we've been connected with his word, and we feel on top of everything. But then disappointment comes. And frustration, and how easy those things spill over into fear and worry, and we are clouded. Our eyes are clouded from the majesty of God. Our trust wavers, and we forget about all the good things God has done. How hard would it have been for Elijah simply to think back a few days before this and say, oh, that's right, this is the God that rained down fire from heaven. What do I have to worry about? But that's us too, isn't it? This is the God who sent his own son to die for us. What do we have to worry about? And yet, we still do. Elijah's despair becomes pretty evident, doesn't it? Not only does he run away, but then he prays that he might actually die. I think what you see on the screen there is a picture of what is being described as a broom tree. Not so much a tree as maybe more of a large bush that he was able to get some shade under. But he wants to die. He wants God to take him. He said, I'm done. God, there's nothing left. What else could possibly happen? No one has turned their hearts away. Do you see the self-pity? Elijah 
wallowed in his own misery. Woe is me is all that Elijah could think. And he wanted God to end his life. I want to read you a short verse from the Bible. I want you to think about this just for a moment. This comes from James chapter 5, verse 17. Elijah was a man just like us. Do you find some comfort in that? I mean, here's Elijah facing disappointment and fear and failure and worry, frustration, just like you and I do. And would you agree that we're no strangers to the pity party that Elijah threw for himself? I don't know if you've invited other people to your self-pity, but you don't really need anybody else. You only have to think nobody's life could possibly be as bad as mine is right now. Nobody else could be facing the things that I'm facing. Woe is me. But think about this Elijah, a prophet of God, found on the pages of both Old and New Testament. I know it's a little spoiler alert for next week, but this is a prophet who's going to go to heaven without dying. And yet he's just like you and just like me, with sinful weaknesses just as we have. And yet God did not give up on his prophet. God did not cast him aside and say, nope, your pity is too much, I can't take it, you're out. God gently brings Elijah back, just as his gospel does for us, calling us back to him to say, don't, don't lose sight. Don't lose sight of the joy that you have in the forgiveness of sins in my son Jesus. Let's take a look at what happens next. I'll give you a little sneak preview with the map first. Uh, take a look at the map here today. This is where we're going on Elijah's journey. So yet last week we were at Mount Carmel. Then from there uh, to the Jezreel and Samaria. This is where he's close to the broom tree in Beersheba. And eventually he's going to journey all the way down here to Mount Horeb or Mount Sinai. About 300 miles in total. Elijah is going to cover from uh, Jezreel all the way down to Mount Horeb. Let's take a look at chapter 19, verse, the second half of verse 5 and it, through verse 10. All at once an angel touched him and said, Get up and eat. He looked around and there by his head was a cake of bread baked over hot coals and a jar of water. He ate and drank and then lay down again. The angel of the Lord came back a second time and touched him and said, Get up and eat. For the journey is too much for you. So he got up and ate and drank. Strengthened by that food, he traveled 40 days and 40 nights until he reached Horeb, the mountain of God. There he went into a cave and spent the night. And the word of the Lord came to him, What are you doing here, Elijah? He replied, I have been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty. The Israelites have rejected your covenant, broken down your altars, and put your prophets to death with the sword. I'm the only one left, and now they are trying to kill me too. It's pretty amazing, isn't it? There's Elijah lying under the broom tree, tree praying that, that God would take his life, and God does the exact opposite. He sends an angel, first identified as an angel, the second time identified as the angel of the Lord. That's often a phrase in the Old Testament that refers to God himself coming in, into, onto the earth. Both times, Elijah gets fed. Reminds us of Psalm 91 and the words God promises that his angels take care of you and me too. 
when God promises that he will command his angels concerning you to guard you in all of your ways. God knew exactly what Elijah needed. And it started with sleep and then food. I don't want to make too great a point of this right now, but, but I think you can relate to this. I know I can. There are some things that we can do so that we don't wallow in our self-pity. And sometimes it starts with things simply like getting a good night's sleep, making sure we're eating well. Those kind of things can go a long way into improving the way we think about life and the way we approach things. And that's what God does for Elijah. Feeds him, in this case, some quite miraculous food. Food that strengthened Elijah to go on a journey. A journey that would take him 40 days, a little over 200 miles, to Mount Horeb. Maybe the first thing you thought of when you thought of Mount Horeb is that town that's not too far away from here to our south. This is a different Mount Horeb, but probably named after that mountain as far as I know. It's better known in scripture as Mount Sinai. Mount Sinai is a place that you might remember had a prominent showing in the Old Testament. First of all, it's the place where Moses met God in the burning bush, right there at Mount Horeb. And then later it was where Moses, do you remember this? went to get the Ten Commandments on top of the mountain as God gave them to the people of Israel. And now here's Elijah journeying to that same mountain, 40-day journey on the strength of the food that God had given him while he was under that broom tree. What did you think about God's question? Kind of piercing, isn't it? What are you doing here, Elijah? What's going on in your head and in your heart? And here's what's amazing about the question. God already knew the answer. He didn't need Elijah to tell him what was happening. But he asks the question so Elijah can analyze why he's there. What did you think about Elijah's response? Does it sound a little rehearsed? Almost as if, hey, if God ever asks me what I'm thinking about here, I got this perfect phrase down, right? Yep, the Israelites have rejected your covenant, broken your altars. They're putting the prophets to death with a sword. I'm it, God. I'm the only one left. And now they're trying to kill me too. That cave that Elijah journeyed to in Mount Sinai, there are people today who think they know about where that location, that cave was up on the mountainside. I gave you a couple pictures here if you want to journey to the Sinai Peninsula sometime. Uh, there's the cave of Elijah. And the second picture in the bottom right is what it looks like as Elijah was looking out from that cave. And what God is going to show Elijah from that cave, something that was going to take away his fears, cast his worries aside because God was going to remind him that he was still in control. Let's finish up the chapter, verses 19, or chapter 19, verses 11 to 18. The Lord said, Go out and stand on the mountain in the presence of the Lord, for the Lord is about to pass by. Then a great and powerful wind tore the mountains apart and shattered the rocks before the Lord, but the Lord was not in the wind. After the wind, there was an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. After the earthquake came a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire came a gentle whisper. When Elijah heard it, he pulled his cloak over his face and went out and stood at the mouth of the cave. Then a voice said to him, what are you doing here, Elijah? 
He replied, I have been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty. The Israelites have rejected your covenant, broken down your altars, and put your prophets to death with the sword. I am the only one left, and now they are trying to kill me too. The Lord said to him, Go back the way you came and go to the desert of Damascus. When you get there, anoint Hazael king over Aram. Also anoint Jehu son of Nimshi king over Israel. And anoint Elisha son of Shaphat from Abel-Meholah to succeed you as prophet. Jehu will put to death any who escaped the sword of Hazael. And Elisha will put to death any who escaped the sword of Jehu. Yet I reserve 7,000 in Israel, all whose knees have not bowed down to Baal, and all whose mouths have not kissed him. What a display God put on for Elijah. You know the fear that earthquakes create in people's minds, that a strong and powerful wind can create a blazing fire, and God showed all three of those things to Elijah, and yet the same comment was made after each one. God was not in the wind or the earthquake or the fire. God did not come in power to Elijah. Instead, as the text tells us, he came in a gentle whisper. Some of you might remember other translations of the Bible that call it a still, small voice. Did you catch Elijah's reaction? When he hears it, he pulls his cloak over his face. And he pulls his cloak over his face because he recognizes that's the presence of God. And when he was standing in the presence of God, the holiness he didn't have was suddenly that much more pronounced in the presence of a holy God. That's the same thing we need too. Someone who can take our place to stand before God and give us the holiness that we do not have on our own. That's what God promised to do through his son Jesus and accomplished when Jesus came into this world, lived for you, that very holiness that God demands. And then went to a cross to eliminate, erase all of your sins. And when Jesus rose from the dead, it was as if God is guaranteeing you and me, your sins are washed away completely. You have a life with me forever in heaven. Do you see what God was trying to say to Elijah through this display? That event from the previous chapter, fire raining down from heaven and burning up the sacrifice, yep, God will act that way from time to time, in power, in judgment. But that's not God's preferred way of dealing with people. God's preferred way of dealing, his way of bringing his gospel into hearts and lives isn't through a show of might and power, but through the gentle whisper of the gospel. We just marvel at that with me for a moment? The way God brings you and me to him? Not through some awesome display, not shaking the very foundations of our lives, but quietly using his word to touch our hearts and change our lives. Sometimes in the form of a little water poured over a baby's head in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Sometimes through a tiny little piece of bread and a little sip of wine connected with Jesus' very body and blood that offer us the forgiveness of sins and life eternal. Not things that are flashy or a show of great power, but that's God working in you and for you 
to bring you to him and to the eternal life that he wants you to enjoy forever. And then he asked Elijah the same question. And Elijah gave the same answer. I wonder if it was with the same conviction that he said it the first time around. It was the exact same thing he was thinking, I'm the only one left. And then God demonstrated to Elijah that while he was despairing, God was planning. God knew what was happening next. He has two new kings waiting in the wings to take over both in Aram, Hazael, and then in Israel, Jehu. And then a new prophet that would succeed Elijah, a man by the name of Elisha. God's plan had not been thwarted. God's idea of what was happening in Israel was not somehow missing. He didn't forget about his people. And then, maybe the best of all, Elijah thought, I'm it. I'm the only one left. And God reveals to Elijah that 7,000 people in Israel had not bowed down to Baal. And maybe that doesn't sound like a huge number of people when you consider the nation of Israel, but 7,000 sure is a lot more than one. And God was still at work in the hearts of his people. A few moments ago, we heard Isaiah chapter 55, verse 11 read, So is my word that goes out from my mouth. It will not return to me empty, but will accomplish what I desire and achieve the purpose for which I sent it. Those are beautiful words for you and me to hold on to. Beautiful words for us to say, what do we have to fear? There is nothing more powerful in this world than the word of our God. Because it's our God who stands behind that word. It's our God who speaks that word. And he sends it. Sends it into this world to change people's hearts. To bring comfort and peace. I want you to take this with you today. God prefers to deal with you and me not in terms of shaking our foundations, not in terms of scaring us into believing in him, but through a gentle whisper of the gospel that touches our hearts and changes our lives. I have to be honest, last week I, I had a couple different people ask me a question, why? Why doesn't God still do things like he did when he rained down fire on Mount Carmel? And I said, can you just wait till next week? Because this is really the answer, isn't it? God could. He could do all kinds of things in this world that would shake the world up and make them think, whoa, whoa, we better figure out what's going on here. But that's not what changes hearts. What changes people's hearts is the simple message, Jesus loves us, he died for us, and he rose again from the dead. Some takeaways from 1 Kings 19 today. Number one, when we feel alone, God's word encourages us to remember that he is with us. Fear not, Isaiah 41 says, for I am with you. Do not be dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you and help you. I will uphold you by my righteous right hand. Number two, God's word continues to work in the hearts of us and of others today. We pray with King David, create in me a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Finally, number three, the word of God always accomplishes his purpose to save. Did you hear how Peter said it in our gospel lesson? Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. And Paul wrote to the Romans, faith comes from hearing the message and the message is heard through the word about Christ. All right, just I need a show of hands this morning. Who has ever thrown a boomerang? Okay, we have quite a few, quite a few. Can I tell you that I've tried a couple times and it's not a whole lot better than my golf game? 
The good news is this, there are YouTube videos that will help you throw well a boomerang because you know the purpose, right? You're supposed to be able to throw a boomerang and it's supposed to come back to you, right? Go all the way out, come back. It's kind of a cool thing if it works well. And then I thought, isn't that exactly what God is saying about his word? It's sort of like a boomerang. God sends it out through the spoken word, through reading, through hearing, and it never comes back to him without accomplishing his desire. That word comes back to God and has done exactly what he sent it out to do. And that word of God continues to work today to give you encouragement, to know that your God is with you every single minute of every single day. But then to know that your changed heart means for you a place with him forever in the joy of heaven. Even when we don't see it, even when we feel like Elijah may be all alone, trust the power of that word because God's word still works today. Amen. The peace of God which passes all understanding will guard and keep your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Amen.